speeding bullets. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Yes, it's Superman. Strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Superman, who can change the course of mighty rivers, bend steel in his bare hands, and who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode, we are going to continue our march toward the end of Season 1 of The Adventures of Superman with episodes 21 and 22. First, we're going to take a trip out onto a ledge as, I guess you can call him a stuntman, will see if he can control Superman for a half an hour in The Human Bomb. And then we're going to take a trip to the movies and see how movies are made as Clark Kent and Inspector Henderson supervise the production of Czar of the Underworld. And to, to help me out with it, I have with me... A man who is no stranger to this podcast and who grew up with the adventures of Superman. Welcome back, Bob Fisher, everybody. Hey, everybody. Thanks for inviting me back, Mike. Ah, oh, These are a oh. couple of good episodes tonight. You know, as we get to the end of, I've mentioned this before, as we get to the end of season one, it seems like they're all good. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I have said that so many times in the past anyway, that it would be really difficult to even do a top five of just this season, let alone try to do a top five of the entire series, because I don't think you could go wrong. If anybody said, gee, I want to get into Superman, where should I start? I would give you two starting places, the Max Fleischer cartoons and the George Reeves series. This is where you should start. It's Superman 101, season one with George Reeves and Phyllis Coates. And the nice thing about the Fleischers is it doesn't require any. You're not going to learn anything about Superman from the Fleischer cartoon. You're just going to watch those and enjoy them. Yeah, you're just going to see Superman. That's what you're going to You're going to see literally the, you know, Max Fleischer's version of Jerry Siegel's and Joe Schuster's Superman. The artwork looks like Joe Schuster has been animated. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. And you've already covered it on the Man of Screen podcast. Yeah, that was the very first things I covered way back when. It was a great place to start. It was the only place to start being that that was the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Nice how that works out. It, uh, it you're going to do a podcast about Superman on screen and you actually start with his first appearance on screen. Wow. What a great idea. Well, I'm, I'm sure we confused the hell out of a lot of people with episode 16 being Superman and the Mole Men. Uh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure there were quite a few people that probably didn't realize that came first. Yes. But it's such a such a great, great, great film. And I was part of that one. I remember that episode. That was a long one. Mm-hmm. It's a great movie, though. It is. It still holds up. I think it still holds up, as we said in that episode. If you haven't heard that episode, ladies and gentlemen, why are you listening to this one? You should be listening to that one because it's in order. Unless you're one of those people. Well, that depends on how you define in order. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we we've discussed in order before on this show. That's true. That's true. If you look at the way they're released, the unknown people, which is that movie broken into two episodes, is at the end. Exactly. Although te and technically aired closer to season two than to season one, though. Exactly. And Superman on Earth, the last thing filmed, was the first to air. So there, put that in your pipes and smoke it. Timey unless. Wise. 
Unless you're a vaporizer type person nowadays. Yeah. However, I don't know how people get nicotine nowadays. Yeah, I don't know. I can never afford nicotine, so. <laughs> right, not anymore. No, not at these prices. No. So anyway, uh, before we get into things, we'll take a quick break. I'll play a promo, and then uh, we're going to come back and find out how long it will be until the time limit is up. Hang around, folks. Stop and listen. Stop and listen to me. Listen. Listen. Listen to me. November 4th, 1988, Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Danegarians, and the Durlins, and they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover, issue by issue. Tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast. A proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. Welcome back to the third annual Superman Festival. In our next suspenseful and rather amusing program, the notorious gambler Bet-A-Million Butler, superbly played by Trevor Bardet, makes a bet that he can actually control the Man of Steel. Produced in 1951, the part of Lois Lane was being played by Phyllis Coates, who portrayed Lois for the first 26 episodes. I chose this episode because it shows Phyllis at her best. Not only was Phyllis a very fine actress, but as you'll see, a wonderful screamer as well. I hope you will enjoy our next episode, The Human Bomb, as our festival continues. And we're back. Yes, and we are back with The Human Bomb. Original broadcast date was February 6th, 1953. Written by Richard Fielding. Directed by Lee Sholem. Guest cast included Trevor Barquette as Bet-A-Million Butler. Dennis Moore as Officer Riley. Marshall Reed as Deputy Inspector Hill. Lou Lubin as The Small Henchman. Ted <laughs> Ryan as The Large Henchman. Stephen Carr as The Man in the Crowd. I believe he's in the crowd pointing. And the voice of Sam, Lou Krugman as Conway, Aline Town as the receptionist. All right, and now for mm-hmm. our, our synopsis brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. No comment until the time limit is up. Oh, wait a minute, I gotta do an actual synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> bet a million Butler will bet on anything, obviously, because his name is Bet a Million Butler. I was just reading about Superman's latest exploit. Fabulous character. Even more fabulous than the fabulous Mr. Butler, huh? <laughs> A good deal more. Have you seen this? Superman wages war against crime. He closed 14 gambling places in two hours, single-handed. Simply amazing. Why uh, detect a note of envy? You certainly do. Can you imagine having that much power? power to fly like a bird, to span thousands of miles in the twinkling of an eye, to smash through concrete walls as if they were paper, to defy authority without fear of punishment. But Superman doesn't defy authority. He cooperates with it. I know, but he has the power to if he wants to exercise it. That's what counts, the power, the ability. What would you do with all this power if you had it, if you were Superman? 
Let's not go into that. But I was thinking while I was reading that paper, almost better than being Superman would be having the ability to control him. If you accomplish that, let me know about it, will you? I have a few odd jobs I'd like them to do for me. To be able to say you control Superman, even if it were only for 30 minutes, why? It's like saying you hold the world in the palm of your hand. No king, no emperor, no dictator ever had more power. Aren't you getting a little too serious about this, Butler? I never was more serious in my life. I'd give almost anything I own to be able to control Superman for just 30 minutes. That's impossible, so why talk about it? I don't think it's impossible. Oh, come now. Would you like to make a little bet? <laughs> you know, I should have suspected, knowing you, that you were leading up to something like this. Okay, what's the gimmick? No gimmick. I'll make you a bet I can control Superman for 30 minutes. So just what do you mean by control? Make him do my bidding? Uh, keep him in my power? For 30 minutes. That's right. Okay. You've got a bet. How much? $100,000. Butler sets his plan into motion at the Daily Planet building in the office of star reporter Lois Lane. With dynamite and a detonator strapped to his person, Butler calls himself the Human Bomb. How do you do, Miss Lane? My name is Bomb. B-A-U-M. No, not B-A-U-M. B-O-M-B. Bomb. That's a rather odd name. Yes. And my first name is human. I am a human bomb. I'm sorry. I have other things to do now, so if you'll please excuse me. Just a moment, please. Of all the ridiculous things. Why, you're crazy. Cup reporter Jimmy Olsen has just entered Lois's office to find her handcuffed to bed a million butler. Hey, what's going on here? What's the idea? He says he's a human bomb, Jim. You mean he's gonna explode? Whether I do or not depends entirely on Miss Lane. Take that handcuff off, Miss Lane, or I'll poke you one. Be careful, young man. If I press this button, all three of us will be blown to kingdom come. Oh, who are you trying to kid? That stuff isn't dynamite. Examine it. Hmm, it, it, it looks real. All right, let's assume it is real. What do you want? Money, I suppose. No, not money, at least not from you. All I want is Superman. In the first place, what makes you think I could deliver Superman to you? And if I could, what do you want with him? Just a small favor. Jim, get Mr. Kent. No, wait, no, wait. Get. Get, get the chief. Okay, and, and should I phone the police? By all means, Jim, and shut the door as you go out, please. Jimmy has gone to tell editor Perry White what's going on with the human bomb. No answer, Kent's apartment. He must be on his way over. Gosh, I hope so. Somebody's got to do something. What do you mean, somebody's got to do something? Are you inferring that Kent can do anything I can't do? Golly, no, Mr. White. It's, it's only that Miss Lane's in there with that nut, and, and, and sometimes Mr. Kent can get in touch with Superman. Are you inferring that Superman can do something I can't do? Well, I guess maybe you're going to fire me, Chief, but... 
Let's face it, the answer is yes. Yes, you're right. Let's go. Perry and Jimmy have found Lois on the building's ledge with the human bomb. A crowd looks up at the spectacle as Lois's shoes fall to the street, and Perry has called Police Deputy Inspector Hill. Meanwhile, Clark returns to the planet. That's a real stick of dynamite if I ever saw one, Mr. Kent. Did you ever see a real stick of dynamite, Jim? Well, no, but it, but it sure looks real. It says dynamite right on it. It doesn't mean a thing. Clark, would you please do something? Get Superman. An excellent idea, Mr. Kent. By all means, get Superman. Do you think I can turn Superman on and off like a faucet? This has gone far enough. Come in here, you two. Not until Superman arrives, Mr. Kent. Chief, I never thought the Daily Planet would be guilty of a thing like this. What do you mean? The cheapest kind of publicity stunt, manufacturing headlines. But, Mr. Kent, this is for real, for sure. And risking the life not only of some stuntman, but that of Lois, too. Well, if she's crazy enough to let you talk her Kent, into you're it. crazy if you think Sure, well I'm crazy if I let myself become a party to this kind of sensational journalism. Oh, but look, Mr. Kent. I don't want any part of it. I'm leaving. The mild-mannered reporter storms out of Lois's office to don the familiar red and yellow costume of the last son of Krypton. All right, what do you want? You're convinced my dynamite is real. Just what is it you want? Your company and your cooperation. You'll have to be more explicit. I want your cooperation for 30 minutes while I win a bet. A bet? Yes. I've wagered $100,000 that I can have a robbery committed at a time and place which you, Superman, are aware of and that you will do nothing to prevent it. That guy is nuts. Do you mean to tell me that you're actually risking not only your own life, but that of Miss Lane as well, just to win a bet? Obviously, you don't know me. I enjoy living dangerously. Stay where you are. The robbery I spoke of will take place within 30 minutes at the Metropolis Museum. Nothing of great value will be stolen. In any event, it will be returned. You will remain here, and you will do nothing to prevent the robbery. Is that clear? It may be clear to him, but it's not to me. Please, Inspector. Don't interfere. Let him handle it. Well, do we have a deal or don't we? What happens at the end of 30 minutes? I release Miss Lane. All right. All right what? You can go ahead with your robbery. Where are you going? Inside. It makes me nervous to see Miss Lane out here. It makes you nervous. I warn you, Superman. Don't leave. You'll see me. At that moment, Superman gets an idea. He enters the window of Clark Kent's office. With the aid of Deputy Inspector Hill, whose coat is draped over his shoulders, a lamp and a tape recorder, Butler can see and hear what seems to be Superman, while the real Man of Steel stops the thieves. Superman! Superman! I want your assurance that you're staying there. No comment until the time limit is up. You mean you're just going to sit there and leave me out here? No comment until the time limit is up. Butler's henchmen have stolen what they must from the Metropolis Museum. They were unsuccessful in making their getaway. Superman has grabbed the back of their car, and the pair of thieves are currently on their way to police headquarters. No comment until the time limit is up. This is all Butler hears from Superman inside Clark's office, as the figure's profiled shadow is seen through the window. Meanwhile, Jimmy doesn't believe that the human bomb's dynamite is real, despite Superman testing the stick that was left on Lois' desk earlier. He doesn't even find the Apex Powder Company, maker of the explosive, in the Metropolis telephone book. Taking one of Perry's golf clubs, Jimmy has made his way across the ledge to Lois and Butler. Just a few more minutes, Superman. No comment until the time limit is up. 
How does it feel to be hogtied for once? No comment until the time limit is up. Just keep right on sitting there, Superman. I haven't taken my eyes off that window for a second. Get back. Jim, for heaven's sake. I'm not going to get back. And unless that phony gets himself and you inside the office pronto, I'm going to whack him over the head with this niblick or whatever it is. I've warned you. Go on, press the button. You know nothing's going to happen. Superman, you better get this young fool off my neck. No comment until the time limit is up. Yeah, if I'm a young fool, you're an old one. Because Superman isn't even in there. They've got his voice on a tape recorder. Jim, please. You're lying. That stupid kid. Mr. White, Inspector Hill, if Superman's in there, tell him to come to the window. Don't listen to that kid. Olsen, get in here instantly or you're fired. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. White, but I can't let anybody push Miss Lane around. He double-crossed me. Superman double-crossed me. Please, you don't understand. I understand perfectly. No, take that handcuff off, Miss Lane. Okay, Miss Lane. Now, squeeze by me and, and climb through the window. Jim, there isn't enough room. You go first. Neither of you goes in until I've left. Come on, Miss Lane, please. Lois has managed to return inside the Daily Planet building, thanks to Jimmy, who is struggling on the ledge with Butler. The cup reporter is falling to his doom when Superman catches him in the nick of time. Golly, Superman, any time I can ever do anything for you, just... Everything under control, Inspector? Fine, if you like this sort of work. Jim, why did you go out there? Gosh, I, I was only trying to save Miss Lane. And, and besides, I knew the dynamite that guy had strapped to him was phony. You knew it was phony. How, Jim? Well, because th th that first stick of dynamite he showed his set on it, it was made by the, the Apex Potter Company. But when I looked for the Apex Potter Company in the phone book, it wasn't even listed. But the first stick did explode, remember? And the fact that a company isn't in the Metropolis phone book doesn't mean that it isn't in some other city. Oh. Hey, do you know who this crazy loon is? He's bet a million butler. He'll bet on anything. Now it's my turn to blow up. <clears throat> well, we can take him down to headquarters now, Riley. And we don't have to pamper him on the way. No matter what happened, Jim, I want you to know I appreciate the risk you took for me. And I wouldn't be surprised if the paper could spare a little raise for you, providing you don't pull any more fool stunts. Golly, thanks, Chief, and thanks, Miss Lane. Oh, it's you. I'm glad to see you finally come to your senses and cut out that crazy publicity gag. Yeah, some gag. And where were you during all this, if I may ask? Me? I went fishing. Caught a big one, too. So, Bob, what'd you think of this <laughs> one? <laughs> <laughs> no comment until the... I guess that's too obvious to do, right? No comment until the time limit is up. Uh, you know you know you want <clears throat> I know I do. But I will resist. No, you won't. No comment until the time limit is up. And don't call me, Chief. <laughs> no comment until the time limit is up. No comment until the time limit is up. Uh, for all of its flaws, this actually turns out to be a fun episode to watch. And there are a bunch of flaws in it for a first season episode, the things that are a little hard to believe. But it's still a lot of fun. It's still Jimmy Olsen being Jimmy Olsen. Uh, I love the villain, uh, Betamillion. Um, Butler. Butler. Trevor something, or I forgot his last name. Bardet. There you go. He was around for those of us from that time period. We saw him a lot on TV in those days. 
particularly westerns and well they're say particularly westerns because there was a lot of westerns but i've always liked him i always thought he's a fun guy and he does these weird kind of characters like that so and and the guy who played the assistant chief inspector the assistant inspector oh hill 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 forgot his name too but he was around a lot in those days and you see him i think he actually went on to have some sort of a movie career marshall reed is his name uh marshall reed i'm trying to think where i because he's familiar but off the top of my head i don't remember where else i saw him but i think back in the 50s and 60s you saw him a lot but nothing jumps to mind right now other than i know that guy you know he's one of those kind of guys where if you see him in a movie you go hey i know that guy right and an interesting choice and just to play this because it's weird because his profile doesn't look anything like George Reeves' profile uh, in Shadow. Yeah, but you know what, though? I could believe him, his profile, casting George Reeves' face more than I would buy, say, Robert Shane. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's got George Reeves' height, and he's kind of got the similar uh, square jaw to George Reeves. Right. But yeah, I like this overall. It's, it's not in the top five, probably not even in my top ten, but better than others it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun it's a it's a fun episode and for a a topic that's kind of serious particularly in today's world with bombers strapping dynamite to their body and going into buildings so this guy handcuffing himself to lois lane with bombs around his chest something like you know that's a very dramatic thing right and that's that will strike some serious chords today when oh absolutely didn't then Absolutely. And but even as a little kid, this is the kind of thing that would put some real fear into your little heart, watching Lois Lane out there and then thinking it's, you know, real dynamite. And then Jimmy pretending or thinking that it's not real and going about it and made several, several mistakes, as we'll get to right ahead. But you know what? Jimmy's heart was in the right place. Oh, always, always, always. The main cast, their heart is always in the right place. They are trying to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Or they think. Not because it's a smart thing to do. Not always. We'll find out in this episode. I saw this episode for the first time as a young child. And then I I didn't see it again until probably about 10 or so years ago when the DVD came out. Right. There was only one thing I remembered about this episode. Do you want to guess what it was? The golf club. No. No. (laughs) I remembered one line. No comment until the time limit is up. Oh. The line. The that's, line. That's, that is the only thing I really remembered from when I was eight or nine. Right. So here that's I am. The line. You know, I'm watching. I had the DVD set. I'm watching this episode probably 25 years old. I see them gut, getting out on the ledge, and I'm, I'm all of a sudden I'm 10 years old again. That's yeah. this one. <laughs> that's it, right. That, that, that's the episode. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Just because I remember that one thing from when I was a kid, then I'm like, oh. Then as I'm watching, I see everything starting to develop. There's the shadow on the wall. There's the recording. I'm like, ah, oh, yes. It could be. It could have been the worst episode of the show, but I would have loved it for that reason. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I have that same feeling about a third or fourth season color episode. Same thing. I won't go into that now, but I understand that feeling exactly. That may not be the best show, but because of the feelings it brings. You know, back to you when you saw it for the first time and remember it as a child. Uh, that's the beauty of these shows. It really is. They're, you look at them through different eyes, both ways, and you can appreciate them for the differences. Right. And one of the, and another one of the beauties of the show, and the beauty of the fact that it survived as long as it has in syndication, is that even though we're about thirty years apart, both of us have watched this, watched this show as children. 
Right. And roughly the same age. Right. No, no, I was a little younger the first time I saw it. But but yeah, but that is the beauty of these shows. We can see them. And when I saw it as a kid, not only did I remember No Comment Till the Time Limit is Up, but everything about the show, again, the black and white being shot in black and white, the shadow on the wall, us being led into the secret. But then as Jimmy gives it up, it's like, no, don't tell, no. I mean, you can get really right. into this, you know? And as a kid, I was right there thinking, oh, she's going to fall. She's going to fall. And of course, they reproduced this scene brilliantly in the man in the first Christopher Reeve movie. Right, when she's hanging from the helicopter. Exactly. Now, if George Reeve had flown up and, and flown in the window right then, that would have been something spectacular for 1951. Well, yeah, if this show had the capabilities <laughs> that the later yeah. movies had. Yeah, exactly. But I often wondered if that in any way was an homage to this or did they were they familiar with these episodes at all? Because the similarity of the first Christopher Reeve movie to Superman on Earth. Right, because and then, in that movie, he sees, I think it's her hat or something, yeah. fall to the ground. And that, and that triggers, that triggers the, him yeah. looking up. Exactly. So, And George Reeves does the same thing in this. So just, just a terrific little scene. So there's a lot to really like about this. As a kid, it scared me to death. Not to death, but, well, it, but it, it was, was scary. tense. It was, it was tense. It was really tense. And now watching it again as an adult, I can see some of the humor, some of the, again, some of the great Jack Larson stuff the moves the the bending under the window the way he works the tape recorder with right. with um, john hamilton perry white it's just terrific and stuff. the fact that none of them had any business being able to stand on that ledge as long as they did yeah exactly <laughs> exactly no wind i didn't notice any wind <laughs> no no at least not the wind we saw in uh the, the chinese jade last week blowing the crowd over right we got a one uh, new character in this episode, a kind of a substitute character in Inspector Hill. Originally, this episode was supposed to feature Robert Shane, but uh, Robert Shane was unavailable for a few days. Uh, we have spoken about this before, that Robert Shane was suspected of, of uh, being involved in communist activities. So during the time this episode was being filmed, Robert Shane was being questioned by the FBI. The, right. Fortunately for the show, the accusations were found to be groundless and... We'll see Robert Shane again in the next episode. Absolutely. And when for history buffs, you should take a look back at these hearings, the Joe McCarthy hearings and the commie scare of the post-World War II era uh, and early nuclear era. You can compare it to what's going on today. But at that time, it was really amazing. And in Hollywood, they were blacklisting a lot of people. And had it not been for George Reeves and Tommy Carr and some of the other people on this in this show, but particularly George Reeves backed Robert Shane all the way to the hilt, along with John Hamilton and many of the others who were involved in this show. Not one of the brighter moments no. in American history. The only other person I could think of off the top of my head that was involved with, he wasn't involved with this series, but he was involved with the Mole Men movie. Jeff Corey, who played Benson, was blacklisted for a long time. Yes. Because yes. of suspected communist ties. Exactly. It's it's an amazing it was an amazing time in history. Sometimes amazing times in history aren't uh, aren't the best ones. No, 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 but I have a feeling in 20, 30, 40 years they'll be looking back at today and thinking, "Wow, there was something going on there." Kind of saying that now. Yeah. So, uh, but other than that, uh, you know, I just really do think this is, uh, you're not going to be disappointed at, at really when you sit down to watch this episode, 
If just one day you think, gee, I think I'm going to pop the disc in and watch one. If you just put it in at random and this one pops up, it's not a disappointing episode. There's some fun moments. Trevor Bartlett is great in this. Barnett? Bardet. Bardet. Yes. Is is terrific. And the guy that he's making the bet with, the other mobster guy. Conway. Right. You see both of them again later. So it's just terrific. I really do enjoy the episode quite a bit. This episode starts off kind of the same way uh, Chinese Jade does. With a long scene of two people we don't know talking to each other. (laughs) Right. 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 and they hang on this speech with Butler for a long time. And yes, they do. And see how envious he is of Superman's abilities. And even though well, he, was, he was reading something in the newspaper about oh, Superman, yes. at the Daily Planet. The headline right. said, Superman wages war on, against crime. It uh, could be the same paper they used in Crime Wave. I'm going to do you one better. Not could yeah? be. It is. It is? It is. <laughs> because I was watching Crime Wave yesterday. Oh, okay, and, good. I haven't seen Crime Wave in a while, so okay, I, good. I was paying attention to the newspapers. As they twirl, I love that effect in yeah. Crime Wave, when they have those twirling to show what's happening. The, in the 90s, they would make it a TV thing with uh, the expositional network news, yeah. but, but love the twirling newspapers. For a 25-minute episode, Butler's speech here could seem to be a little long, but you, know, you see it in his eyes, how he's thinking and formulating his plan. Just some great acting there by, uh, by Bardet. You can right. see the wheels turning. You can see it. And that's a lot of money. That is. Uh, that they're betting. This is a big deal in 1951. That's a big deal in 1991. And a big deal That'd in- be a big deal for me right now. Right now, that's life-changing money right yeah. there, son. And obviously, he puts his plan into motion by seeking out Lois. Because if you're gonna, if you're gonna tie up Superman, you may as well go, <laughs> away, you may as well go after Lois. These people never seem to go after Clark Kent. Mm-mm. I think one of them in later episode does go after Lois and gets Clark. Right. And thinks, all right, we got one of them. That's fine. Or gets Lois and Clark right. because she's following him or something. But yeah, if you're going after Superman, a good bet is you want Superman to show up. Grab Lois. Yeah, because he will. And I love how Butler just walks in there and he announces his name as Human Bomb. <laughs> yes. I'm Bomb. B-A-U? No. B-O-M-B. And she's not putting up with uh, any pranks. Mm-mm. And then he kind of shows his dynamite vest. and Oops. Even now, even when she sees... Well, she's taking the dynamite vest a little bit seriously. Jimmy does it when he comes in. Right. Jimmy just thinks somebody's doing this as a prank. If you came in wearing this kind of vest today, you'd have SWAT team all over you in half a minute. Yeah, real quick. And does he still have to prove that it's real, or do you just assume it's real? Don't you just have to assume it's real when somebody does something like this? Well, I don't think you can assume that it isn't. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to be the guy who made the call that the dynamite wasn't real and be wrong about that. And this episode just got a little bit dark. Boom. No comment until the time limit is up. <laughs> <laughs> dun, da, da, so in order to prove that his dynamite is real to Jimmy, Butler is going to give Jimmy a stick. How is Jimmy going to know the dynamite is real? Because it says dynamite right on the side. It says so right there. I guess so, you know. Dynamite! <laughs> Hopefully it's not made by the Acme company. <laughs> Ajax. Because yeah, I think Acme has the Wile E. Coyote franchise, right? Right. Yeah, and that stuff, it works, but it just doesn't work the way he wants it. Well, nowadays you could probably use them, but were they both owned by Warner Brothers back then? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, they, they go out. Butler wants his $100,000 so much that he drags him out onto the ledge. And I like this scene with, when Jimmy goes to the chief's office. And first Jimmy wants the chief to call Clark, 
And Perry is very insulted. Do you think Kent can do something I can't do? And then when he suggests Superman, Perry even gets indignant about that. <laughs> and then right. he realizes, no, you're probably right. I don't think I could do anything Superman can do. Right. So. Actually, probably could go back a couple of those do you thinks. Yeah. And yeah, Perry, I think they could both do a little more than you right now, buddy. Nothing against Perry, but... Mm. No, this is outside of uh, Perry's right. pay grade. So, but Perry does try to solve the problem the way he tries to uh, solve every problem, by yelling at it. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't work, and Perry's the one with the dynamite logic. That it's, because, it's real because it says dynamite on it. Clark, and then eventually Clark comes in. I guess he already saw them on the ledge before he comes in. and He just needs to get himself out of there. It'd be a little hard for him to show up and be Superman if he's hanging around in the office. And what do you think of his excuse? Clark's little he, uh, that he excuse. Th- it works for me knowing why he's doing it. Mm-hmm. But I think if, you know, we didn't know that Clark was making that excuse that we could leave to be Superman. Right. I think he's laying it on a little thick because he didn't even give him a chance to explain. Right. Because he was adamant about, I got to get out of here. I'm not going to take any part in this charade. Right. And he didn't. Mm, bye bye. Right. Well, we know he can't stay. And it's, it's a way for him to get out and kind of save face. Right, right. Because it, he can't, but, uh, uh, he can't let them explain because he can't risk them talking him out of right. It. They can't, he right. can't risk them convincing keeping him that, him that, that, that he has to stay. Stuff. Right, right. They have to believe that he thinks that, and so eventually they let him go. But but before he does, I do enjoy the the little banter between Butler and Clark when Butler's demanding of Clark to see Superman, and Clark asks if he could turn Superman on and off like a faucet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Actually, Clark, you can. Yeah. A little easier, actually, than a faucet and, at super speed. Boom. Well, apparently, for Superman, turning as we've seen in the Chinese Jade, turning faucets on and off is something that's difficult for him. <laughs> well, he'd already been down there once. Doesn't need to go back down <laughs> just to turn the water off. He could have turned off before he got the people out, but that's okay. Yeah, you know. Also, you know, when, you, when you think about this, you know, sometimes you don't want to think about these episodes too much. No, you don't. Because we're going to take no. that plunge right here, and then we're going to take it again later in Zara of the Underworld. Yes. But uh, he already saw Lois on the ledge. There is no reason for Clark to even show up there. Right. He didn't even have to show up. He's seen the thing from, we assume, when he picked up her shoe. Right. And looks up and sees what's going on. Right then, edit, alley, famous run into the alley, come halfway, and- take off. Boom. You could cut this whole middle Clark Kent section out. But the episode probably needed another few minutes. Exactly. So. And it does let Clark know what's going on. Right. So that now he knows before he shows up as Superman that there is something going on. And it advances the story because it tells us stuff. And we're also going to avoid the fact that Superman could probably end this before Butler has even realized he moved. But Right. But they didn't use a lot of super speed. Yeah, I'm not even in, sure what Superman's super speed was back then. If right. It was they, it they, they say it's really fast, and in the comics, and they've actually said it's really fast, like when he's flying around the world. Right. He's, he's flown, you know, to Egypt and back in, you know, under 30 minutes. So you got to be, you got to be digging to do that. Right. So. But how uh, fast is he on the ground is still an open question. Yeah, that. that's still a real open question. They never really did much with super speed uh, in this. So now Superman is going to test the dynamite to see it's real. Everybody else is saying that the dynamite is real. And eventually we do find out that it's real because he takes it up into the sky and blows it up. So at least we know that stick of dynamite was real. 
And they had to shoot another flying scene for this episode. Oh, the one of him going straight up? Yeah, they had to shoot that. You know, most episodes, they've got some stock flying footage that can be brought in or out. Stock footage of him jumping in or out of a window. Those kind of things that they had to do in this episode. The flying scene of him going up to uh, to test the dynamite for this show and this show only. Superman detonates the dynamite and then he confronts Butler. And obviously Superman is not very happy that this is based on a bed. Mm-mm. And obviously Butler wants uh, Superman to uh, hang on the ledge with them. Superman is not having it because seeing Lois on the ledge is making him nervous. That's kind of a tough sell coming from Superman. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He can fly, Lois can't. I'm betting she's a... A lot more nervous than he is. Yeah, I think also, I mean, there's so many ways in the comic books of this time period, even in the early 50s, but particularly by the time you get to the late 50s and the early 60s, Superman has super speed and even the heat vision alone would get rid of the the handcuffs. So zap, handcuffs are broken, so he's not attached to Lois. Grab him and fly him straight up and then say, I right, bet a million butler, set off your dynamite now. Now, but this is this is a 25-minute episode, so we need to get a little more complicated. Exactly. So, so he goes into Clark's office, hatches plot here. He's got the lamp, and he sends Jimmy for the tape recorder. And he uses his lamp to cast the shadow on the wall so Butler can see it. Apparently, Butler is not as smart as he thinks he is, because he's going to be fooled by this. Superman's trickery here is a lot of fun, as he has Perry block the shadow while he puts <laughs> Inspector Hill in the chair. Right. And drapes the jacket over his shoulders. So much, especially in this first season, we see so much of Superman's brawn. Yeah. It's nice to see him uh, use his brains and uh, set a trap. Right. Outthink the guy. Especially (laughs) since that's the reputation of the guy. Right. Is that, you know, he's bet a million, but he'll bet on anything and he's really smart and he always wins. And not this time. Yeah. I'm not sure Superman needed to do all this, but it's definitely much more fun than uh, just uh, dealing with it uh, very quickly. Right, and we wouldn't have had the famous no comment until the time limit is up. Right, which he records twice at the window. No comment until the time limit is up. No comment until the time limit is up. And aren't we glad that Superman recorded his line twice? Good thing. Because Perry feels the need to take over the playback from Jimmy in fear that he, that Jimmy will screw it up. Better let me handle that thing. Better sense to botch it. It won't be much longer, Miss Lane. I just told Miss Lane it won't be much longer, Superman. I turned the wrong switch. I wiped it off the tape. It's lucky he said it twice. It's on the tape again further back. I said it won't be much longer. Huh, Superman? No comment until the time limit is up. Exactly. Well, so what does Perry do? He lets Perry screw it up. Yeah. That's what happens. <laughs> and... You know, I just happened when I was watching this and taking my notes and all that, I just happened to pause the video here. And you should see the look that, that Jimmy is shooting Perry. I'll bet it's a good one. Oh, it's, a, it's such a dirty look. And uh, and in the chair, Hill looks like he's about to uh, throw up in his mouth. He's so nervous. <laughs> mm. So, some good acting here. <laughs> it's a yeah. very good acting here. And even when Perry screws it up, Jimmy saves the day because it was recorded twice. He can re- rewind it back to the first one. And as soon as he gets it working right, Perry says, give me that. Perry took over again. Yeah, well, and he got another dirty look from Jimmy. Which he should have. Right, and uh, Perry takes over after they've let out the side of the relief. The faces they all make are great here. and uh, Yeah. 
And like I mentioned about Hill, I can kind of buy him casting a George Reeves-like shadow on the wall. I'm I'm not sure how Butler didn't notice his shadow has moved. Right. Then we see Jimmy kind of looking in the phone book. He notices that something isn't there, and uh, we're not privy to it right away. So, but he so he goes into the chief's office, and apparently Jimmy has a girlfriend. Apparently, he's uh, calling Miriam, and yeah, I think he broke up with her. Yeah. He expects to uh, get himself blown up here, I believe, because he's. Uh. Trying Apparently. to say goodbye, and well, I'm sure, I'm sure Miriam has moved on to somebody else as soon as Jimmy hung up the phone. Mm. Yeah, Jimmy was kind of a weird conversation here because he never really said anything other than we can't see each other tonight. Well, maybe never. You understand how I feel? Oh, you do? Great. Okay, bye. Yeah, she understood that Jimmy's probably more trouble than he's worth. <laughs> yeah, understanding that I think if I'd been on the other end of that conversation, it would have been, "You're doing what? Are you yeah. breaking up with me? What?" What are you doing? What are you talking about? What? Okay. Bye. I didn't even know Jimmy had a life. And I don't think he does anymore. Not after that one. Nope. No, in the comics, he was, you know, very famous. And as Superman's friend, he had fan club. He had girls swooning over him all the time. He was a very popular fellow. Well, he was also a secret agent. You know, there was nothing Jimmy didn't do in the comics. That's right. So Jimmy takes to the ledge with the golf club. Apparently Perry plays when when he leaves his desk. For the only time we ever see that bag of golf clubs there yeah anyway superman goes and foils the museum robbery that he was supposed to be prevented from stopping and i love Oops. i love this shot of superman carrying the small henchman by his collar and his belt and he's right he just picks him up and he straightens out yeah <laughs> it doesn't look very comfortable no it doesn't but look how strong George Reeves is to pick that guy up. Yeah, that's not how they teach you how to carry another human being, usually. No, it's not. That requires some upper body strength. Yeah, because he's actually holding him out in front of him. So yeah. it's probably a 150-pound man there, even if it's a little guy. He's right. still at least 150 pounds. Not an easy thing to do. Maybe the straightening out help helps a little bit. I'm sure it did. I'm sure they did all kinds of stuff. He may have even, I don't know if they'd gone that far, but he, they may have done something in his under his coat and pants for, for George to actually grab onto. But it doesn't look like it. It looks like he just grabs it from the scruff of the neck or the collar and the seat of the pants or the belt. Just grabbed him and, come on, let's go. Just picks him up. It doesn't look very comfortable for the guy being carried. No, no. Wedgie. Yeah. Ow. Hopefully, hopefully he only had to shoot that once. Probably talks like this now. Well, now he does. It would be funny if he did. <laughs> no comment until the time limit is up. Back to Jimmy, who's clearly not thinking. Because if he knocks Butler off the ledge, Lois is going down with him. Right. Jimmy does succeed in saving Lois. Well, only because Better Million Butler thinks, who is this crazy kid? He might actually hit me. Maybe I better take the handcuffs off. You know, which I'm still not sure that was the move he should have made at this point. Once the handcuffs are off, now your anything goes. Now Superman could fly in, right. which is really what's happening. Superman's about to come back. But the handcuffs now off of Lois. Yeah, and she goes into the window. And why Jimmy doesn't follow her into the, win- in the window, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. Because now Jimmy wants to start a fight on, on the ledge. On a very narrow ledge. Yeah. Oh! comment until the time limit is up. What do you you think about the dynamite that Butler's wearing? Whether I think it's real or not? Yeah, I think it's real. I don't think he's bluffing. I think it's real. Also because of the look he gets later when Jimmy, before the big fight starts, he says, you're not fooling me, and Jimmy tries to push the button, and it absolutely scares Betamillion to death. Don't you crazy kid! Now, do you think Butler has any intention of ever pushing this button? No. No, I don't either. 
but he did need to have it to be real to convince in case Superman did use x-ray vision or something, some supervision, some way to, to tell if it's real or not. I do think it's interesting that he was able to take a piece of the dynamite out of the little case and give it to Jimmy, and it had the fuse on it. And I'm just curious, was that, are the other pieces of dynamite just loosely in there? What's attaching them all to the fusey thing or whatever, the button that's pushed? Because that one came out pretty easy. Or did he plan that somebody was going to say it's not real, well, and Butler, he had one? Butler planned this very well. So I'm assuming if he pulled a stick of dynamite out of his vest to use as a prop to show them that it was real, he intended to pull that stick out. Well, I agree with you there also. I agree. So he might not have wired that to the rest of the device. Exactly. I'll agree with you there. Part of the plan. Jimmy succeeds in saving Lois, but he finds himself in trouble as he gets knocked off the ledge. He hangs onto the ledge by his fingertips for a minute. Fortunately, that helps him hang around just long enough for Superman to just appear on the screen and catch him. And catch a, right. and catch a, a mannequin. Right. Betamillion didn't step on his fingers, did he? Is this a different episode where Jimmy is up on the ledge and somebody steps on his fingers to make him fall? No, I thought he was stepping on his fingers. So Betamillion did, once Jimmy fell, instead of trying to now help him back up, he actually tried to step on his fingers to make him fall off the ledge. I believe so. I don't think he just tum- I don't think he just tumbled off. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Well, either way, Jimmy fell. Either way, right. Jimmy is on his way down. Yeah. <laughs> no comment until the time limit is up. And he gets caught by Superman, and he's brought in. And uh, dun da 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 da. You know, it, it would have been nice of Superman to get Butler off the ledge too. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the, yeah. the guy who has the armed dynamite strapped to his right. chest. But now nah, he just leaves the guest cops to go do that. Well, he's nice enough to ask the cop. You're okay with it. You can get this other guy now, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and he'll love it. <laughs> he's like, yeah, if you like this kind of work. Yeah, he, he loves being out on that ledge with a guy strapped to a Yeah. But I think it was good for his partner, Riley, there. who Riley, the entire episode, was dying to go out on that ledge. Right. Got his wish. Definitely recommend Riley for some evaluation after this episode. <laughs> a little too anxious to get out on that ledge. Now... Just, just wanted to see if Superman was still around. Yeah, you know, but you know, he gave a nice wave. Superman did. He gave a nice wave. He saw that they had everything under control, and then he went back to hang out with the main cast. Now we get Jimmy's logic about how the dynamite is phony. What did you think of Jimmy's math here? No comment until the time limit is up. Not very good. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh-uh. Um, no. And apparently, Jimmy's world seems to end at the Metropolis city limits. Apparently. Because... White pages. <laughs> He didn't even look in the yellow page, just the white pages, and it wasn't there. Right. Oops. No comment until the time limit is up. And then Lois tells him the truth. Just because it's not in the city doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Maybe the Apex Company is in Gotham. <laughs> and he's, even though, and he's still convinced that the dynamite's not real. Despite the fact, and then he's reminded of this, one of them actually did explode. And then Jimmy faints. No comment until the time limit is up. Poor Jimmy. But everyone else seems quite delighted by this. <laughs> but Jimmy does get rewarded for all of his efforts and his stupidity. Gets he, a raise. He gets a raise, Thank- and he gets Lois's gratitude. <laughs> Smooch. Yep. Butler also gets his just rewards too. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. And that was an interesting slap. <laughs> that was a very loud slap. Loud one. Interesting how she does her hand on that one. Doesn't quite follow through. It's kind of popping back. Yeah. It's an interesting slap. Don't know if it was a. I want to see another camera angle of that same slap. I want to see it from different angles. 
Well, it certainly didn't knock him out. No, <laughs> no, no, no. But Clark comes back. From his fishing trip. Yeah. Caught a big one, I heard. Yeah, I heard. We, <laughs> we saw. And a big grin. Yeah. You know, I've mentioned this before. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Right. But this one does. This one does. Uh, I usually like the endings when he winks at the camera or does a little corny, gee, maybe I'm Superman or right. whatever. I like that. It was letting all of us little kids right. in the viewing audience in on the secret. We know. <laughs> I enjoyed that. So overall, not a bad little episode. No, Probably not a, not a top 10, but, no. but uh, still fun and very memorable, two incredibly memorable events in this particular episode, two particularly the shadow on the wall. Right. And of course, no comment until the time limit is up. No, like I said, for 15 years, that was the only thing I remembered about this episode, <laughs> the shadow and no comment. Yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. I even posted on Facebook when I was watching this episode. Something, I don't remember, I don't remember what had happened that day. Something must have happened that got the world in a tizzy. At least the Superman world in a tizzy. Mm. So I wrote down, no comment until the time limit is up. Doug Meacham thought something was wrong. Oh, right. <laughs> right. I remember that. Yeah. I knew what you were doing. You, I, I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was funny. So, take a, we'll take a quick break right here, and we'll come back with Czar of the Underworld. All right. All right. Hang around, folks. When you think of podcasts about religion, you probably think of this. But at least one religion podcast sounds more like this. I kick ass for the Lord. Dorkness to Light is a relatively geeky production in which Alan and Emily discuss topics of faith, religion, and spirituality. But we do so through the lens of pop culture, like movies, TV, and comic books, because we're nerds. Our primary focus will be on Christianity, because that's what we know best. But all religious content is on the table. Well, think about it, Scully, from vampirism to Catholicism. This is an occasional cast, to be recorded and released as the mood strikes, with topics ranging from in-depth reviews to personal rants about some small aspect of theology or church history. Because we're theological nerds. If these topics interest you, check out dorknesstolight.blogspot.com for our more regular content. Or dorknesstolight.tumblr.com for our more irregular content. Memes and puns, mostly. My bad. Dorkness to Light. Often irreverent, rarely sacrilegious. All right, welcome back, folks. And we're going to move right along to a trip to the movies with Czar of the Underworld. Hooray for Hollywood. <laughs> Original broadcast date was February 13th, 1953. Writer was Eugene Solo. Director was Tommy Carr. Eugene Solo. That's what I said, isn't it? Yes. Okay. Not Han Solo? Not Han Solo. Not Napoleon Solo? Guest cast is... Anthony Caruso as Luigi Danelli, Paul Fix as Ollie, John Maxwell as the studio police chief, Roy Gordon as Tommy, Stephen Carr as the creatively named Director Carr, <laughs> Joe Kirk as the gangster with binoculars, and Sidney Clute as Shorty. Now for our synopsis, brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. 
Clark Kent's articles in the Daily Planet exposing crime boss Luigi Dinelli are made into a movie entitled Czar of the Underworld, produced by National Studios in Hollywood, California. Metropolis Police Inspector Bill Henderson and Ken himself will serve as advisors during the filming. While Henderson is in Clark's office waiting for him to prepare to leave for their airplane flight, Dinelli calls. Hello, Kent. Luigi Dinelli. It's Dinelli. They tell me you and Inspector Henderson are coming out here to work in the movies. That's right, Dinelli. National Studios bought that series of articles I wrote about you for the Daily Planet. Czar of the Underworld, you remember? I didn't like what them articles said in the paper, Kent. I'm gonna like them less in the movies. Well, now that's too bad, Luigi. What do you suggest? Friends of mine tell me that picture shouldn't ought to be made. They say you and Henderson should uh, call off your trip. You tell your friends, Luigi. The copper move. Come on, make with the trigger. I'm pulling on it, but nothing happens. You're telling me. Ah, she must have jammed. Well, open her up and fix it. The boss will keep the gabbing until he hears the shot. Okay, okay, take it easy. And another thing, Luigi. You better tell your friend Czar of the Underworld starts shooting tomorrow morning. And Inspector Henderson and I intend to be on hand for the occasion. And you can tell him from me, Danelli, that this picture will pack more wallop than a Tommy gun. When you see the stuff we're putting into it, you won't be able to find a hole deep enough to crawl into. Luigi, that was Inspector Henderson. Well, how do you like that? I finally get her working again, and all I can see is that copper's back. I'm sorry, Luigi, but I'm afraid we'll have to cut this short. We have to shove off for the airport. See you in sunny California. I'm warning you, Kent. You and that copper won't leave California alive if you go ahead with that picture. It's too late to stop them now, Luigi. They start shooting tomorrow morning. And friends of mine are liable to start shooting, too. Tell them to contact me anytime after tomorrow at National Studios. Might be sooner than you think. Now! <laughs> Keep back, Inspector. But they tried to plug you. Skip it. Come on, we're late. Clark and Henderson have arrived in Hollywood. But they just may not get to National Studios as two of Dinelli's men have knocked out the driver that is to meet them, and one is following in another car, while the other drives Clark and Henderson to a place where they can be dealt with. The automobile is locked in a dark garage and... What's wrong? Why'd we pull in here? The right rear tire is soft. Gotta check it. Only be a couple of seconds, gentlemen. Ah, this is the life, boy. Private car, chauffeur. Chauffeur, my eye. Doc, it's a trap! Kent, where are you? Stay down. Don't move. We walk right into this one. Don't worry, we'll walk right out again. Just don't move. Get your car around the back. All set. Okay. Luigi's gonna take care of them two in person. Let's go. Clark changes into Superman. Superman knocks the thugs' heads together, leaving them for the police. How'd you do it? We were locked in here. One of the little tricks that Superman taught me. You know, Kent, sometimes I get a feeling you are Superman. I may have to be to get this picture made. Resuming his reporter's guys, our hero and Henderson make their way to the National Studios to be certain that Czar of the Underworld can put Luigi Dinelli behind bars forever. Luigi Dinelli's war with National Studios is heating up. Film is burned and property is damaged. To make matters worse, actor Alan Dexter was shot on the set. A live bullet was mixed in with the blanks normally fired from guns during filming. Word of the murder has reached Daily Planet editor Perry White thanks to a teletype news flash given to him by Jimmy Olsen. 
How many times must I tell you not to barge into my office without knocking? I know, Chief, but this is important. Don't call me Chief. Yes, Chief, I mean, yes, Mr. White. Okay, what is it? It just came in over the press wire. Hollywood, Flash, Alan Dexter, motion picture star, shot and killed on National Studios set today while filming crime expose, Czar of the Underworld. More to follow. Let me see that. Yes, Mr. White? Get me Clark Kent or Inspector Henderson at the National Studios in Hollywood. A perfect setup for the scoop. My own reporter right there on the scene and what happens. I've got to get the news over to press wire. Just wait till I get Kent on the phone. Just wait! When did that come in? Just a few minutes ago. Well, go out and see if there's any more. Yes, sir. I have Inspector Henderson on number four, Mr. White. Okay. Hello. Hello. On number four, Mr. White. Hello. 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 Hello, is that you, Henderson? Yes, how are you, Mr. White? I'm fit to be tied. That's how I am. Where's Kent? I'm probably checking up on something. We've had a little trouble out here, you know. Oh, really? How would I know? Does anybody ever tell me anything? You tell Kent for me that in case he's forgotten, he's still working for the Daily Planet and not the National Studios. Now listen, Mr. White. And furthermore, when a story breaks and he's on the scene, I expect to get my information from him and not from a press service. If that Hollywood stuff's gone to his head, you can tell him for me he can stay out there and not bother to come back. Now be reasonable. White. Be reasonable. Be reasonable. Great Caesar's ghost. Well, if you'll stop shouting for a minute and let me explain. Go ahead, but make it good. Well, we haven't had a chance to breathe since we got out here. And then this thing had to happen. What thing? Well, Alan Dexter's murder. Are you sure it was murder? No question about it. And Kent didn't notify me. Didn't even have the common decency to call me and tip me off. No, I've got to get my information from a press service. Mr. White. What does that, that nincompoop think I pay his salary for? To keep me in the dark when a big story breaks? Hasn't he any loyalty to me or to the paper? Didn't it occur to him that we might be interested in getting that story before every other newspaper in the country got it? Or doesn't he care? Now, that's ridiculous. I told you that... I don't care what you told me. All I know is Kent was on the scene when it happened. And all I've got in this office is a news teletype report. Did you hear me? A news teletype report instead of an eyewitness account from my own reporter. I'm sorry, Mr. White, but I have to attend a meeting with the head of the studio and the police chief. I'm not through yet. I'm not through by a long shot. You tell Kent that if he thinks for one minute, I'm going to stand by while he... Hello, hello. Hello, Henderson, are you there? He hung up on me. He hung up on me. Henderson and Clark have met with the studio police chief and have examined Alan Dexter's trailer on stage 13. I take it, gentlemen, that your verdict is murder. No question about it, Mr. Abner. Dexter was shot through the heart by a live bullet. Someone slipped into the chamber of the automatic rifle. Which means Dinelli has a confederate right here in the studio. Well, who is it? We checked every person on the stage. No suspects. Evidently, Dinelli's playing for keeps. And so are we, Mr. Kent. He's not going to stop production on this picture. I replaced Dexter with a new leading man this afternoon, and we resume shooting in the morning. What about the actors and crew? Will they go along, Mr. Kerr? One hundred percent. Does that go for you and Inspector Henderson, too? Mr. Abner. We came out here to do a job. And we're staying until it's finished. Good. Thank you. I don't think there's anything more for me to say. I, uh, I want to see you in my office, Carr. Uh, Mr. Carr was telling me Dexter lived right here in this trailer. That's right, Mr. Kent. He had it fixed up with all the latest improvements. Running water, telephone, all the comforts of home. Sounds great. Say, do you think it'd be all right if I, uh, if I slept in here tonight? Sure, if you really want to. Now, why would anyone want to sleep alone in a place like that? 
You're welcome to keep me company if you want, Inspector. With a complimentary suite at the Mark Stevens Hotel? <laughs> no, thank you. Would like to look at the inside of the trailer? Yes, I would. Thank you. Now, what do you suppose he's up to? Uh, reporters always got to be snooping around. It's in their blood. Buy your beer, Chief. You took the words right out of my mouth. With Henderson there, Clark is more free to confront Danelli's mob as Superman. Meanwhile, Danelli himself has learned of Clark sleeping at National Studios. The crime boss intends to eliminate the mild-mannered reporter with the aid of the same person he has working inside the motion picture production company. The studio police chief has let Clark look at the Los Angeles Police Department's file on Danelli. Frank Danelli, the brother of Luigi, that's the one I want the information on. The Los Angeles police haven't got any more than what's right there. Nothing since 1938? That's the year he got out of San Quentin. He disappeared after that. He probably had his face lifted, changed his name, started life all over again somewhere where nobody knew him. Mm-hmm. That address on Luigi's is it still good? We can put our finger on him anytime. The trouble is we can never get the goods on him. He's too smart, even for the FBI. No, oh, they always slip up sooner or later, even the smartest of them. Yes, I know, but Danelli's been getting away with murder for 20 years. I have a funny feeling tonight's the night. You still planning on going ahead with your plans to spend the night? You still gonna spend the night in here? Why not? Well, if Dexter's murderer is still around the studio, you might give him ideas. Nothing like a well-baited hook to catch a big fish. Yes, but you will be, might be baiting that hook with your life, Kent. Don't worry. I intend to take every precaution to keep it. You reporters have certainly got a lot of nerve. Sometimes we have to have it. What are you doing snooping around there at this time of night? Why? I was just lining up my camera angles for tomorrow morning's work. What are you pointing that gun at me for? Oh. <laughs> Better luck next time, Chief. Well, I always say you can't be too careful. I'm sorry, Mr. Carr. Mm -hmm. Good night. Good night. Now Superman knows where to find the... Good evening, Danelli. What's the idea? The window? I was in a hurry. I just took a shortcut. Wise guy, huh? Tommy, Ollie, come in here. I was wondering when you'd do that. Any more, Luigi? Your aim's bad, Luigi. Now, what are you going to do with the empty gun? Keep away from me. What do you want? I want you to come to the studio with me so I can show you how movies are made. No, I won't go. Yes, you will. Superman then flies Danelli to National Studios. According to what he tells Inspector Henderson... This steak is so good, waiter, I think I'll have another. Might as well, since the studio's paying for it. Superman! How are you, Inspector? I'm never happier in my life. So I see. <laughs> well, after all, the studio's paying, paying for it, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, is it any fault of mine if Kent decides to stay away when all this is given to us for free? I heard to think Kent's just twiddling his thumbs. Well, what brought you out here? The same business that brought you and Kent, Inspector. Well, we can sure use you. This Danelli's a tough customer. I think we've got him where I want him. You've seen him already? Returned the greetings he extended to you and Kent this morning. Uh, we can always count on you. Inspector, how would you like to be on the kill tonight? The kill? Yes, if you can tear yourself away from your dinner. Oh, I finished mine already. Uh, I was eating Kent's. I see. Well, here's the situation. I just left Danelli sound asleep in a trailer on stage 13 at the studio. Danelli in the trailer? How'd you do it? Oh, little artificial persuasion. Yes, but where's Kent? Oh, he's around somewhere. The point is, if the murderer shows up to try any more funny business, I'd much rather Danelli be in that trailer than Kent. No telling who it is in the dark. Exactly. Well, shall we, uh, shall we go? After you. 
with Henderson following, Superman goes to National Studios. A man whose face is hidden by a hat and trench coat has entered Studio 13. He has attached the hose to a car's tailpipe and Alan Dexter's trailer. The engine is started, causing carbon monoxide to enter the small living quarters. Superman and Henderson arrive in time to shut off the automobile. What's that noise? It's the motor on that car. Open that trailer door. That little carbon monoxide deal was meant for me. For you? I, I mean for Kent. I better take a look at Dinelli. The unconscious Dinelli is safe, but the person who had thought to murder Clark Kent is still on the loose. A bullet has just missed Inspector Henderson. Now, Superman is pursuing the person who fired the gun. In his panic, the killer falls from the rafters. The man is then revealed to be the studio police chief, who tells Henderson that he is in reality Frank Dinelli, Luigi's brother. Frank had had plastic surgery done to hide his face and had assumed the role of studio police chief to be his brother's inside man. It was Frank who Luigi had ordered to put live ammunition in the gun that killed Alan Dexter. However, before Frank can talk further, Luigi regains consciousness and shoots him to death. All right, Inspector. Put the cops on him. What do you know? Luigi Dinelli in custody. You got nothing on me. This time we have, Luigi. We've got you for keeps. What for? Murder, my friend. The murder of your own brother, Frank Dinelli. I didn't kill him. He was dying already. I only put him out of his misery. That's your story. It's also possible you killed him to keep him from talking. What do I care if he talked? It's got nothing to do with me. I got nothing to be afraid of. What about the murder of Alan Dexter? Okay, so Frank put the live bullet in that rifle they were playing with on the movie set. It's got nothing to do with me. Yes, it has. You were giving Frank his orders. I'd like to see you prove that. We'll prove it. Kent would get a big kick out of this. Hazar of the underworld in bracelets. Too bad he isn't here. Oh, he's here, in a way. <laughs> so, Bob, what do you think of this one? Oh, this is a great episode. Great, great episode. Even with all of its flaws, and it has quite a few plot holes and all kinds of problems but it's still a really 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 good episode with behind the scenes stuff of hollywood and uh, some great stock footage that we'll see again and uh, yeah overall i just really still like this i have many questions and and i'll get to them as you get to them in the story but overall i like the episode yeah i do too there's another fun one and this one is also a great vehicle for the relationship between clark and inspector henderson yeah, absolutely. Much absolutely. It's most of mostly it's them. It's George and Robert Shane on this together a lot in this episode. Right. And we only <laughs> see Perry and Jimmy once. And actually yesterday there was a thread on the Adventure Continues Facebook group right. where we were ironically talking about this episode. <clears throat> yeah, I saw that. We were actually discussing whether or not that episode with Jimmy and Perry was kind of put there to end the long phone call between Henderson and Perry to kind of stall for time. Because the episode might have mm -hmm. been running short. Right. And I can see that because that scene does go on a little long. Right, it does. And there is some question that it was, and I'd heard this before, that the Jimmy and Perry scene particularly was a late addition and semi-unscripted. It was a, a late addition. It doesn't even show up in the original script. Right. And Perry's lines are written for him on his desk. When all those papers he's moving around and yelling about, those are his lines. That would make sense if the episode came up short, they had to write a quick scene. Exactly, exactly. And I think unfairly, John Hamilton is sometimes judged by that because apparently in the later seasons, in seasons five and six particularly, the crazy shooting schedule and his poor health, he would come in and sit at the desk and basically read his lines and do what he could 
But in these early episodes, he was rarely doing that. He was an old-time professional. He hit his marks. He set his lines. He showed up. He knew his job. So, you know, so I'm going to defend John Hamilton all the way to the hilt on that. And to my knowledge and in my mind, still the best Perry White ever. Yeah, I'm going to defend him too there because other things too. One, TV. The TV process was new back then was new and it was hectic and particularly this first season well even even when they got full-time shooting on the rest of them this first season they had no sponsor yet they had no idea what they were doing they had like eight weeks or something on an incredibly short amount of time and they shot 26 episodes well there is no time for them to sit Mm -hmm. there and Mm -hmm. learn their roles no so they came in and they're not even shooting an episode at a time no, they, they were weren't. They were shooting. They were saying, here are your pages. Do these lines. Right. It's, so they would be shooting like six office scenes or whatever, six Clark Kent office scenes, right. six Perry White office scenes. So they would just flip and read their lines and do what they have to do. When, Sometimes memorize them during lunch. Right. And when you think about it, and uh, you know what? When you think about how this show was produced, mm. I believe somebody said this on one of the commentaries. It's amazing these shows are as good as they are. Oh, absolutely. That absolutely. they seem to they seem to flow and work despite the fact that they were filmed filmed at a ridiculously fast pace. Right. And but good good staff of people behind the camera. Right. You had a good director. The stories were written well and they were taken from many of the stories were taken from stories that had already appeared on the radio show. But they knew where they were going with this, particularly these first ones. They knew what they were doing, and they knew they had a quick amount of time to do it. And uh, I think it shows, especially when you get people behind the camera. Some of the cameramen, the cinematographers, the lighting people, the directors, the producers, the people who put this sucker together on that schedule and came up with these 26, well, really 24 plus the moment. And when you look at that and... Easily off the top of my head, I can tell you 10 of these episodes that are just absolutely brilliant with state-of-the-art special effects, great camera work, and acting that will rival anything that was on TV or in the movies at the time. Just terrific stuff. And I love this episode, the the Czar of the Underworld. Everybody in this show takes their job seriously. They're all giving it their best. Absolutely. And it shows. And that's what holds this show together because I'm sure sometimes you put those actors, give those actors lines, they don't know what episodes they're filming. Now, obviously, when they're doing stuff in Haiti, they know what episode they're filming. But when they're in the office, they could be filming anything. We'll go right. In, we'll go right into the office. We start with these hilarious two criminals hold, trying to shoot Clark in his office. We would, yeah, uh, they they, they that, did this one interesting with didn't that they? tiny little sniper rifle. That he right, got, looks like a toy. <laughs> a little a little sniper rifle and waiting for Clark to be in the right spot. Right, and the little things that happen. Yeah, the thing jams. Then he, then, then he finally clears the jam, Henderson stands in front, and then, after all that, they either miss or the bullet bounces off Clark, one of the two. <laughs> right, right. I think that was, that was uh, a funny little bit there that I'm sure they had in mind, for us, the viewer, that they missed. Right. But I thought it was funny last time we talked that we were talking about this. Or it bounced or off it Clark you know, and hit the can... light and hit the lamp. So yeah. could go both ways. But uh, both of those scenes, I am willing by the to way, bet both we of... are thinking about this far more than Tommy Carr did. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But I think it's really funny that I love this scene here and how it starts this episode off. Right. You've got three different locations in this one little scene. Right. And you got Clark's office. you got the building apparently across the street with the two guys in the rifle. One of them looking through binoculars to tell the shooter when it's time to shoot, even though the shooter apparently has a telescope on his rifle and should be able to know when he's got a shot on Kent or not. Yeah, but he's, he's, he's and, trying to clear out the bullet. Right. And you got the third location of the big head mob boss guy out in Hollywood. And, and, which and is, uh, Danelli's house is such a beautiful set. Luigi Danelli, yeah, yeah, he's got a nice big house there with some henchmen. So that's a really good scene with him on the phone talking to Henderson and Clark and the two henchmen buffoons almost again, comic relief henchmen. Um, I mean, we're almost at Otis level here, Otis and yeah. uh, Tessmacher here with the idiot who can't apparently shoot straight, the bullet jams. Then he finally gets the shot off and apparently misses. Right. And police inspector Henderson is saying, hey, you've been shot at. We need to get those guys. And Clark, no, let's not worry about that now. We need to get to Hollywood. The plane's going to leave. Pick up our suitcases and let's get out of here. They they get on a plane. They uh, Henderson wants to get to the bottom of it. But Clark, nope, he wants to get to the airport. I don't know exactly what purpose they're serving in Hollywood. I guess they're serving as advisors to to the film. Right. And I also wonder, it's something that we kind of glossed over a little bit, but Czar of the Underworld is a movie that they're shooting in Hollywood where the script has been written based on expose articles written by Clark Kent for the Daily Planet about this Luigi guy. Now, is Clark making a ton of money on this deal? He didn't write the screenplay, but he wrote the original articles. Did he sell his articles to Hollywood? Well, I don't know how the laws worked then. Yeah. But at my job, when I write an article, I don't own it. The, the paper owns it. The newspaper owns it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I assume that's the way it is. Yeah, I, assume, uh, I would in assume most that places. would be the way it was then. Right. Like anything Clark does for the planet is a work for hire. And right. It, Unless it's something like a, a syndicated column. That you write and it's in a bunch of newspapers. Who has the rights to that? That would be something different, I would bet. E- even somebody who's syndicated still signs a contract with somebody. With somebody. With some kind of uh, yeah, they pub- usually have a home house or something. Yeah, to, somebody uh, who owns the who owns the actual copy and yeah. distributes it to. So unless he's you know got some sort of deal going, unless he's big time writer or something, who knows? He, who knows? He might, unless he wrote a book. Yeah. But they do say at some point that I believe that they got the rights to the article. The articles, right. So, That's what it was. It was the rights to Clark Kent's articles about this czar right. of the underworld. So one thing that, I, that strikes me as interesting is, why weren't the articles enough to uh, dig something up on Danelli? Why do, do we need the movie? You know? Good question. Because, you know, most movies are fiction. Uh, This one is apparently fiction with some facts thrown in. Right. I mean, you know, they've got like hit and run scenes in this where drive by shootings, machine gun shooting. Did Donnelly do all that stuff? Is that what Clark was reporting in his thing? And you're telling me that if Clark wrote a story and then the police followed it up, where did it all happen? Did it happen in Metropolis or Gotham or Hollywood? There are some details left out. Yeah, there are. There are a lot of details left out. Yeah, we need to look at those original stories. Look, one of my biggest complaints from anything Superman related is always how the newspaper is dealt with. Because these people do things that just would not fly. The way I see stories written on screen, you know, like whenever they read something, Lois would write. No, that's not how it's done. 
and the fact that they can apparently get out a full issue of a newspaper within minutes of an event happening. The, the Daily Planet comes out more often than I update my website. Yeah, I'm I'm just amazed how many time how early it. Hold the front page for a replay. Oh, I'm doing Burgess Meredith all yeah. of a sudden as Perry White. Oh, uh, they the are they and, are heading to, they're heading to Hollywood where we get our nice shot of wheels on the plane and the we get the uh, little uh, shots of the a uh, different plane. Apparently, they changed planes a few times. Between right, I think and, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is pretty funny. Well, That's you know, right. They might have changed planes. You, you know, you never right. know. I don't think planes are going all the way across the country at that time. Three different stock footages of different airplanes in this little scene getting them across country. Eh, it's it, well, we do what we can, and uh, we we get our little Hollywood uh, title card telling us where we are. Isn't it kind of pointless to get the Hollywood card telling us that we're in Hollywood, being that the phone call has already told us that? <laughs> well, you got to show the reader. Right. The listener, you got to show, or the viewer, you got to show Hollywood. I'm surprised they didn't just show the Hollywood, you know, the, 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 uh, you know, the, the letters big on the big Hollywood yeah. sign. Yeah. Yeah. That must've been difficult to actually go outside and take a picture of the hill. Ah, somebody must, <laughs> must be stock footage of that somewhere. But yeah. All over the place. Anyway, national studios. It's uh could be a real name or it could be a take on the old national comics. National Periodical Period Incorporated. Right. Yep. Superman Inc. Yes. And I like how Clark looks very awestruck about Hollywood. You know, he looks almost like a tourist here. And uh, Henderson is ready to meet the movie stars. But Clark is ready for business. He wants to go after Danelli. And because like we mentioned before, apparently Clark's articles wasn't enough to uh, get Danelli uh, put behind bars. As soon as they get there, problems start immediately. And they pull into the garage. And while they're not being, uh, paying attention... <laughs> the driver escapes and closes them in there. And I love the black the black screen. Oh, yeah, so do I. So do I. And footnote to the driver, the limousine driver, the henchman that plays the part of the driver here, later becomes a full-time regular character on the 60s Western The Rifleman starring Chuck Connors. This guy sets him up, drives him into the um, Clark and Inspector Henderson. In the garage. Into the garage, closes the door, and as you said, we go to black. Yeah, if this, right is, here, if black this is a cartoon, all we would see right here are their eyes. Are their eyeballs. We'd see Donald Duck, you know, we'd see Daffy and Bugs's eyes. But yeah, we don't see their eyes, but we hear Spectre Henderson and Clark, and Clark saying, if you just be quiet and sit still, I think I can get us out of here. And he gets out, turns into Superman, and gets into the other car without making a sound. Apparently, he's been working on his ninja skills. Apparently. Or... As in the comics, which have, he's already done it in the comic by this time, vibrates at such speed as to appear invisible, invisible and to go through solid metal. Now, he has not gone through solid materials yet in this show. No. That comes later. Kirk Allen has moved fast enough to become invisible. He did that in the Atom Man serial. Okay, so... There's precedent for this. If there's canon, if they count that as canon, on-screen canon, he can show up in the backseat of their car without making a sound, as he's done before in some way, shape, or form. Yes. It's just weird for this Superman who never does anything quietly. Exactly. I'm surprised he didn't just rip the doors off, pull them out, and smash their heads together. But well, he, he does, just... He does that, and he does that from the back seat. Smash yes, but from the back seat comes up and bonk, almost a Three Stooges move. Now, Clark opens up the garage, and when he's questioned by Henderson, Clark says, Superman taught him some tricks. Oh, really? And Henderson says... You know, Kent, sometimes I get a feeling you are Superman. 
I may have to be to get this picture made. I like that response. Yeah, that was a good, that was a really good response, and it was well played by both of them. Right, you know. That little back and forth was and well played by both. It's not the giving it away that Clark usually does. It's more of a, it's not a confirmation, but it's more of a sarcastic musing. Yes, and the fact that I might have to be to yeah. get this movie made. So that's not admitting you're Superman, and it's actually saying, well, I'm not, but I might have to be. If, right. You know. So uh, I really like that little bit back and forth. There are several. Lois Lane would have taken that and run with it. Yeah, but there are several really good George Reeves, Robert Shane scenes in this little episode. There are. And we're going to get to them. We're going to get to them all, dear listener. Don't worry. Yeah. So they're out of the car. Yeah, and this is kind of where things get a little timey-wimey. Because we, we mentioned how often the Daily Planet seems to publish. When you watch this episode all the way through, they act as though it, this happens in a day or two. Right. But I saw enough newspapers float around on that screen for a week. Yeah, I think it happens over a longer period of time than you might think right at first, because there's a lot of stuff that happens. Right. Films, actors get shot, bullets have to be tested, things happen, uh, overnights, getting a guy in and out of one place to another, visiting Luigi, all of these things happen. And like you say, several newspaper headings. So either newspapers are coming out three, four, five, six times a day. Or an hour. Or an hour, right, every hour. Or things happened over a longer period of time than they're leading us to believe at first. And I can see everything after the montage being in one or two days. Because this we go right to to the actor's death. Right. And The one shot in the drive-by shooting. Yeah, the one shot in the drive-by shooting. Apparently the gangs have sabotaged the film and put a loaded gun into a prop. Right. This is where we get that fun scene with... Perry and Jimmy, that might have been added on to make this episode longer. Right, to fill a little bit, right. But you know what? Perry is understandably upset here. What is Clark doing out there? We don't actually know where Clark is at this moment. You know, this just kind of seems like they got it. three actors together. Here, we need a scene. but We need a few minutes here, and let's blow this out here. Yeah, but it's still, uh, you're talking, this is a scene where Perry is talking to Inspector Henderson on the phone. On the phone, yeah, trying to, right. trying well, to get is, an explanation out of him. This is actually a really good scene on both of their oh, parts, is. too, as actors realize that neither one of them are actually talking to the other. They're both doing that line separate of the conversation, and right. then it edited back together. And you're hearing Perry White who is understandably upset. He has a reporter on scene in the middle of a homicide, of a shooting, and Perry's getting the information over the wire from some other news service and not from his on-site reporter. Right, and that kind of makes me kind of wonder what the arrangement is here. Why is Clark there? Right, if not to report on In what capacity is Clark there? Advisor to the movie because he wrote the articles on Luigi and the bad guy, the other bad guy. Is he, I mean, is he on some kind of leave from the planet, though? Is this time off, or...? Yeah, those are all good questions that they never bring up in this episode. And now maybe we could read between the lines, because it opens again with Henderson coming to the office to get Clark. So maybe reading something there would give us more information about why Clark is going or how. But Perry is... Whether Clark's on the clock or not... Perry's giving him the time to go there. Right. Why? For Perry, he's thinking, well, of course, you wrote these wonderful expose stories. We got news. They're making the movie. You're going to be in the middle of it. I expect you to be a reporter. Right. Perry expects something out of Clark, and he under- is understandably upset here. And since when are reporters of this time period on or off the clock? When do they? Well, they don't punch in. No. 
You know, you're a reporter, you're out there to do a story and whether he is, it doesn't matter what time it is. Everything he's doing while out there is part of the greater narrative of him and the expose and the story and the bringing to justice the Luigi, what's his face gang? Donnelly. Donnelly. Obviously, we're led to believe that Clark is doing something worthwhile. Henderson is trying to explain what's going on. <laughs> right. <laughs> and again, Robert Shane is doing a great job. Again, I go back to the acting of, of John Hamilton just really screaming and mad and angry and cut to Robert Shane as Inspector Henderson trying to calmly explain, well, yes, it's we've been a little busy out here and, you know, we're not just sitting around and right. there's right up to the very end of it where Henderson just quietly and, you know, softly hangs the phone up. And, and then John doesn't yeah. realize it at first. And then he realizes it. And even John Hamilton's point, as we see Henderson tiptoeing away, and then it dawns on Perry White that he's been hung up on. And he just stops yelling and immediately goes into that. He hung up on me. He hung up on me. And, he, and you see him getting madder every time uh, he repeats the phrase, he hung it's, up on me. It, it's just such a great, great, great scene from both of those guys. Um, I think I say that a lot about the five, six regular actors well, you know. in this in this series, but I'm telling you, they really do bring their A-game to these 24 little episodes. And at this point, really it's do. probably a little later in the production, they're getting used to their characters and, the, and their roles now. Right. But I do love the scene, and it, and it ends great with, with them and Bill Henderson tiptoeing off scene and Perry saying, he hung up on me. Right. <laughs> you know, sometimes Perry can be unreasonable. You know, maybe there is an explanation. We've seen from Clark in the past that Clark is more interested in kind of playing the long game than just getting the news out. Anybody can send a report that somebody was shot. Clark is trying to find out why he got shot and who did it. True, but he could have probably sent Perry some updates or some headlines or, you know. Yeah, something. A quick phone call would have been nice. Wouldn't have killed him to put out 149 characters. No, it wouldn't. If, if I could do it on Twitter, Clark can do, can do it really quick. Anyway, this studio works pretty fast. Pretty quick. Yeah, they're, they're already hiring a new actor. You know, the next to, to start work the next day, when uh, the guy from Fast and the Furious died, yeah, they production stopped for months. Mm-hmm. But nope, somebody gets murdered on this set, back to work. Yep. There's no crying in movie making. No crying in movie making. And so now we meet the uh, director of the of the movie, Director Carr. Tommy Oh, I mean. <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, Steve playing his brother. Yes. I wonder if he's actually trying to act like his brother or if he's just thinking, I'm not really a great actor. I just want to get my lines and don't screw them up and move Steve on. Stephen Carr plays the same character in everything he's in, in, in every episode he's in. So Yeah, and uh, it's exactly the same character he, he always plays. But, you know, for the <laughs> for the they've longest, run out of names for him now. Now he's well, just going to use his own name. For the longest time before I read Serial to Serial and The Adventures of Superman TV show, by uh, another guy that I forgot his name, Gary Grossman. Yeah. And there's another book over there that I forgot. But uh, they're two really good books about this this show. But before I read those, I always thought this was Tommy Carr. Right. I thought he was playing himself in this episode. And I never put it together that it was a different guy. Right. Because they never say his first name in the show. No, they don't. They, they just call but, him. 
the final credits say Tommy Carr as director, but I, you know, you know, the other rest of the credits when I was a kid, I never read them and all that. And I don't know if he actually gets credits in the credits. Stephen Carr was usually uncredited. Yeah. So as far as I knew when I was a kid, I just put it together that the director, Tommy Carr, was now playing himself. Right. As uh, well, I don't mean as a kid. When I started to get a little older and think about right. actors and stuff, thought this was he was playing himself. So I guess it was probably sometime in the '80s. I guess when I first got that serial to serial book. I'm not sure when that came out actually, but um, I, know, I know it was around in the '80s. Yeah, when I first got that and was reading it, I went, "What? His brother? Cool." So uh, I got to get yeah. that book. I got to scratch some cash together and buy that. Yeah, it's a good book, and I think it's in a. I think it's being reprinted again. And uh, if not, you can always pick it up on eBay or Amazon. Fifteen, twenty bucks. Yeah, I need to get another one. I've written all in mine, and it's, it's all messed up. Where are we? Well, we're yeah, we're at the little meeting with the studio and the police, and Han- ah. Henderson is doing all seems to be doing all the police work. Yeah. Apparently, <laughs> uh, the LAPD is taking the day off. Yeah, apparently. But we find out why later. Oh, that's the studio chief. It's not the actual. It's the chief. chief. They don't actually say who he's from. Right. Superman homepage says studio chief, but he could be the chief of police. Right. Right. Where's a cop costume? Yeah, he he could could be a studio rent-a-cop for all we know. Yeah, we don't know. So, but anyway, they're working pretty fast, and Clark is going to hatch his plan now, and he wants to sleep in Dead Man's trailer, because, because why not? Because why not? Obviously, he's setting something up, and uh, Mm. no one mentions this to him, that it might not be safe. Right. They just think the little crazy. I don't know why you'd want to be here when you've got a really great room over at the Hyatt Hilton Sheraton Big Time Hotel Hollywood steak thing. Right, with a steak dinner that's being paid for by the studio. Right. <laughs> right. And what the uh, police chief just gives him the key to the dead man's trailer. Yeah. Crime scene. Yeah, you know. Jeez. Not, not the best police workout. Yeah, well. And uh, we learn a few things about a Frank Dinelli. From what we hear when we go back, when the show goes back to Dinelli's house, is that Luigi has a man on the inside named Frank. And then we go right from there to the scene where Clark is sitting with the police chief, and they're talking about Frank Dinelli, who no one has seen or heard from since 1938. An interesting scene, Clark talking to the chief. Yeah. Now that we know what's coming later. Right, when you, th- yeah, knowing what's coming later and you think about a lot of the things the chief says here. Right. He makes a lot of assumptions about what Frank has done in the past. And then eventually when it's revealed that he is the, we already spoiled it in the synopsis, so no point holding it <laughs> close to the vest now. Right. Is that when we find out that he is actually Frank Dinelli, well, he was just telling Clark what, he, what he's done since 1938. Right. And I think they did a good job with this of if you don't know, even by this point, if you haven't figured it out, and they gave no clues that it was him. No, they so, didn't. And right here, the episode throws us a little bit of a curveball. A little bit, because, because they're passing this little note back and forth. Right. And then you assume, oh, well, the chief is a good guy because of the way he's acting here. And, of course, it's the director standing outside right, making hanging, the noise. He's hanging, right, he's hanging out outside the trailer. And, and they make us think, well, maybe, maybe the director's the bad guy. Right, a little bit of misdirection there. Uh-huh. But I think, well, no, he's not a good enough actor to be the bad guy. Right. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, sorry, he, Steve he, Carr. You're a great actor, buddy. But he's been the bad guy in other episodes. Yes, he has. He's even been a woman. A very good woman. Yes. Uh, that was an amazing episode. That was. 
just that scene of her, him, yeah, just wow. Yeah. Wow. But anyway, back to back to the czar. Yep, back after, to czar. After the chief leaves, Clark changes into Superman, and I am very relieved to see that Clark has taken his favorite alley with him. I wonder, if to, I wonder if he had to check that with his luggage. <laughs> brick by brick. Woo. No comment until the time limit is up. And this is when Superman flies to Luigi's house. And you can always tell when Superman flies into the villain's lair. They never leave the windows open. No. If he's flying to one of the good guys, the window is always open. The window's open. Or the window, one night when he flies into the governor's mansion, the storm blows the window open and Superman flies in. I thought that was a pretty dramatic entrance. But I love those. And and George loved these entrances. He absolutely, that was one of the things that he actually said when he stopped doing the wire work. Right. That he actually told them, don't worry, we'll work it out. And the jumping out of windows, but particularly the coming in. He loved to make these as dramatic and as athletically done as possible. Stretch it out big time. And I love to take some of these and still frame them because some of them he's coming in and he is perfectly parallel or perpendicular. What do you, yeah, parallel. He's flat out flying through that window. Before his feet hit the ground, uh, he's just flat out and about eight, ten feet off the ground. It's just terrific to watch him come in on these. This one, they've angled. It's a brilliant side. Like we mentioned earlier, Donnelly's pad, his gangster mansion place is pretty cool. Looks like a penthouse, probably pretty high up on a building with a tilted window. And Superman just feet first crashes through that bad boy. He does, then. George Reeves looks like he's, <laughs> he's having a lot of fun during this scene. Yes, yes. Even though Superman is probably uh, committing some crimes here. Well, this brings up what we've talked about and, and others have talked about. Right. This, this really brings into question Superman is suggesting, and everybody agrees with him. Well, he didn't really tell anybody, did he? He just, no, Superman he, shows up at Donnelly's, does this whole scene with Donnelly and his two henchmen. Right including a bang, 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 bang. Bullets bounce off, fighting, couple of, takes out a couple of the henchmen, and then kidnaps Danelli himself, knocking him out. Right. And, and put, What do you right. think about it? This is a home invasion. Uh, uh, everything is wrong with this, really. He comes, the, you know, yes, we know Danelli's the villain, but, you know, right. this country still, I believe, has that whole innocent until proven guilty thing going on. Exactly. So but they don't have it, anything on Danelia, so he breaks in, he assaults his security, and kidnaps him. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. There's a couple charges there, but everybody's like, nah, all right, Superman, you're doing just fine. Right. Also, uh, jumping ahead two or three scenes at the end, when Danelli now, because what Superman does, he kidnaps Danelli, takes him back, and puts him in the trailer where people think, quote, Clark Kent is staying. Because Clark Kent got the word out, remember, through the henchman that we didn't know was going to be the bad guy, through the chief. So Kent already told the chief that he was going to be, that Kent was going to be staying right. in the trailer. So Superman goes to Donnelly's house, has the little fight, takes Donnelly, puts him in the trailer, yeah. and then flies to where Clark should be, but is not, goes back to the hotel, because he's already now, he's taken Donnelly back and put him in the trailer. 
Yeah, there's also some reckless endangerment going on here, too. Right. And so Dinelli, Superman has put Dinelli in a spot where he knows someone is probably going to try to kill, quote, Clark Kent tonight. So instead of the invulnerable Superman being there waiting for the criminal to show up and then catch him, Superman puts Dinelli, the bad guy, in the trailer. So when the other bad guy shows up, he'll be attempting to kill the bad guy. Now, Superman knows that's what's going to happen. And in the meantime... Superman doesn't even stay there to protect him. He says, I think I'll go back to the hotel room as Superman. And Could you imagine something like this happened in a, if Henry Cavill Superman did this in a movie today? Oh, the internet, no. the internet would freak out. Oh, yeah. Couldn't do it at all. So, uh, so Superman does, and he flies back to the hotel room and in order to tell Inspector Henderson what he has done. And you know Henderson what I really love is about there. this scene? Yeah. Is that when Superman comes in, before they get to business, they share a little joke. Yes, they do. And, and it's an unseen joke because the, the way the camera set up, Henderson has his back to the door. Right. And it's a close up on the stake and a hand, couple of hands cutting a piece off of the stake. And then the camera pans back and Dolly's back as well. And we see now Henderson as Superman walks in behind him and makes a comment. And uh, Henderson thinks it's the bellboy. Right. And makes some little joke. And, uh, 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 the punchline is especially when the the, uh, the studio is paying for it. And what we find out is that Henderson is eating Clark Kent's steak. He's already eaten his own. Now he's working on Kent's steak. And they do this little joke, this little bit, five minutes here, while the bad guy Hen- that we know now is the chief, but we still don't know because right. he's got the you know, the raincoat and the trench coat and the hat on pulled down. And he's trying to do the, what do you call that stuff coming out of a car? Carbon monoxide. Carbon monoxide. Yes. He's trying to kill what he thinks is Clark Kent with carbon monoxide, but is in fact his brother, the older Dinelli brother. Right. Or the younger Dinelli brother. We're not sure. They I'm never sure. say. Frank appears, yeah. looks older than Luigi. Frank looks older. I'm thinking Frank is the older, not so bright brother. Right. But anyway, that happens. And um, Inspector Henderson and Superman show back up, and they have that scene where, where Superman flies up, and then uh, the guy falls off and falls Almost to his death. Right. And as he's about to tell who Luigi is and all the bad guy stuff, Brother Luigi comes out and shoots him in front of Inspector Henderson and Superman. Shoots his own brother. Very old gangster movie. Just as he's about to reveal all the the secrets, he shot. Yeah, he shot. Okay. Uh, Question. Where did he get the gun? Remember, he shot yeah, he, all. He emptied his gun at, thre- Superman and threw it at Superman and threw it at Superman, and it bounced off of his chest. It was not one of those where Superman ducked, which really only happened once, and it was a stuntman, not George Reeves. Yeah, that. Uh, got, I took care of that conspiracy theory when the time came. I think that was Mind Machine. Okay, good. Yes, it was exactly Mind Machine. But yes. Uh, only time it ever happened, and people continue to this day to make the joke about why does Superman duck after they empty the gun? He did it once, and it was the stunt man. Move on. Yeah. It wasn't George Reeves, right? And here, clearly, Donnelly empties his gun in the scene in his hotel room, and, and, and then throws it, and the gun bounces off uh, Superman's chest. So. When Dinelli now comes out, Luigi comes out of the revived from the almost carbon monoxide poisoning, comes out and shoots his brother just in the nick of time. Where did that gun come from? Well, was it already in the ho- was it in the trailer? You got a visit from the gun fairy. Yeah, so uh, maybe it was his ankle gun. Yeah, you know, I, mean, I don't know. That gun looked a little big for an ankle gun. 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, we don't know. But yeah. anyway, uh, yeah, magically, of that. Yeah, magically now, Danelli has another gun and shoots his brother. And then, of course, is arrested. And uh, we get some jokes about Superman and Clark Kent. Yeah, well, because uh, Superman tells Henderson before all this that this carbon monoxide deal was meant for him. Right. Oh, yeah, that was a dirty. For you. <laughs> no, 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 not for Kent. Yeah, that, that one was a little lame and a little obvious there. Right. That should go into your, I'm keeping track of. Yeah. You know what? It's been a while since I've had one. I think I'm at about seven now. Yeah, well, that one should be added. That's a little goofus. That's a little stupid. But yeah, but that's so then we have uh, a fun little ending. And, and now I want to see the actual movie that was shot called Czar of the Underworld. Yeah, because you figure now they can shoot it now that the. Uh, now they have an ending. They have an ending now for it. And would Superman be in Czar of the Underworld movie? I would assume so, wouldn't he? You would think. So then does it become Czar of the Underworld starring Superman? Well, no, Superman had a very small role. Exactly. Would it be starring Clark Kent and Inspector Henderson? They could have been in the movie anyway, for all we know. For all we know, there could have been actors playing them because it was based on stories written by Clark Kent about events that we assume happened in Metropolis because Clark Kent, I don't think he was like a national reporter. No. I don't know. Although they did go lots of places to tell their stories. Egypt. They've been to a lot of places. Yeah, they've, they've been. <laughs> and I love the line at the end. And too bad we'll never see a scene of, asking, of Henderson asking where Clark was during all this. Right. Right. Oh, he's here. In a way. In a way. Yes, Inspector, if I know it, Kent knows it. He's back at the hotel eating the rest, eating the rest of his steak that Henderson didn't eat. <laughs> no, I doubt that. I won't fall for that one. No. I would almost believe if he said, well, you know that chewing out he got from White, he's probably filing his story right now. Yeah, I, if he's smart, he will be. Right. So, you see, that that's how Superman could have could have gotten gotten out of it but uh but yeah good episode good 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 episode it's one of those that it's probably not as high on my list as crime wave even though crime wave i think has you know even more stock footage scenes in it than this one did from gangster movies and grade b movies and stuff not shot for this particular episode well the, the thing about the stock footage from crime wave is that a lot of it was its own stock footage right uh, but yeah, I think you can just put this one right in the column of um, a solid A, solid yeah. A plus on this episode of Czar of the Underworld, and it is, uh, this several recurring goes, characters. This episode kind of goes back to the uh, crime noir dramas that we had earlier in the season. Yeah, absolutely. We, we had We're, a lot. We had a lot of mystery and some horror in the middle part of the season. This really harkens back to some of those early crime dramas that we had. Yeah, absolutely. And coming after the time bomb, while pretty serious episode to little kids and can be kind of, you know, ooh, tension and don't fall and yeah, you know what? blow the, up. The human bomb could have easily been a season five episode. Yeah, easily. Easily. Even the way it shot, everything about that show could have been done at any time. And it would have fit right in with a season five and a color episode with Noel Neal out on the ledge instead of Phyllis Coates. The Runaway Robot could have been a color episode, too. Again, excellent. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So, But really good. Really good. And making progress as as you get back. So thanks again for inviting me back. Oh, we're not done yet. We've got some feedback. Oh, feedback? Yep. From our friend Dave McElvaney. Oh, cool. Hi, Dave. Yeah. He, uh, Dave sent us a letter after our 
on the day that our episode on the stolen costume came out. I believe that was ah, the great, the stolen costume. I that was episode 23. He mm. sent the email goes live at 3 a.m. Eastern time. And I believe I got the email about, oh, I have right here on my phone, actually. The time that it came in. You have a smarty pants phone. I do. It, it arrived at 10.35 a.m. on August 2nd. Cool. I was probably getting out of the shower at that point. Cool. So that's how quickly Dave turned this around. Dave writes, I am loving your coverage of the Adventures of Superman TV show. And as you and Bob both suggest in this episode, the stolen costume certainly ranks very high, certainly top five on my list of the series. Mm -hmm. When I first saw this one as a boy, I had not yet heard the radio show, and Candy Myers was not a character from the comics. So he was something of a mystery to me. Yeah, me too, Dave. But I very quickly decided I like him. I guess if he was a friend of Clark Kent, he was a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Poor Candy. How frustrating to be asked to find something that was stolen without having an idea what it was. Actually, I'm going to stop Dave here for a second and remind Dave that Candy was never asked to find what was stolen. He was just <laughs> asked to find who stole it. <laughs> right. So Who stole what? The family I jewels. Can't tell you. I can't tell you. Love that actor. I do. Love, love, love that actor. So back to Dave. The whole discussion between Connie and Ace about how Superman wasn't wearing the costume because he was being the other guy hmm. reminds me of one of the biggest problems I've always had with Superman's secret identity, and more broadly, his terrible track record in keeping secrets. <laughs> if I were Superman, I'd never let anyone know I had a secret identity. And to put Dave on pause, I really don't think he actually did. But apparently people have assumed this anyway. So, back to Dave. There's no inherent reason for the public to think that he's not always Superman. So why let people know that? Granted, on the TV show, I don't think he ever tells people that he has another identity, and he is pretty guarded about the existence of Kryptonite. Two secrets that he's much more free with in the comics. But he also spills the beans about his stealth powers, like super hearing and x-ray vision. It would be much easier to find out things, and about the bad guys, if they didn't know he had those powers, and if they didn't know that lead blocks his x-ray vision. (laughs) Right. Point well taken. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree with you there. It's but I used to think that actually sometimes I because in the comics particularly he would say stuff that basically you would just go wait, soups. You're telling everybody that you actually have a secret identity. If you hadn't said that, why exactly would they expect or think that you're doing anything but being Superman? Because other people don't run around being changing total identities unless you're an actor. You know, normal guys don't leave the office. Well, maybe they do. I don't know. But I agree with you, Dave. They didn't, he didn't need to, but great storylines. And But I think in the TV show, it was kind of questioned whether he did or not. Lois was pretty sure that he had a right. secret identity. But there's a part of me that's convinced that they all know. Probably. Maybe not Jimmy. Probably. Maybe not Jimmy. I don't think Perry White knows either. There's definitely times when I think that Henderson and Lois know. Yeah. And they're just waiting for Clark to screw up. Right. Right. Because they're the ones who always seem to be in on the joke. And Lois is always trying to convince other people. Go back to Dave's email. Yes. As for the final fate of of Connie and Ace, I think we have to hold Superman at least partially responsible. Mm -hmm. Anyone but the simplest knowledge of human nature is going to understand that the moment he tells them he's going away for a while and that they shouldn't try to escape, that this is exactly what they're going to do, especially on a cold, snowy mountain. He could have isolated them on a deserted tropical island, for example, where they might have been more inclined to stay put. No matter what, though, he'd have had to come up with 
some more permanent solution, and it's hard to imagine what that might be, short of somehow erasing their memories or letting them die, especially right. in the 1950s. Right. Putting Dave on hold for a minute, I'm, I think Ace would object if Superman gave him a kiss. <laughs> Back to Dave. If this were later in the Silver Age, he might have concocted some elaborate scheme in which when they tried to expose his identity, somehow they'd be made to look crazy, foolish, or just mistaken. But the stories hadn't really gotten to that point yet. I think we have mm -hmm. to put their debts down to a kind of golden age justice. Thanks for all the fun, Mike and Bob. Keep on podcasting, and I'll keep on listening. Live long and oh. prosper. Dave, Halkar, McElvaney. So, well, that's thank you, great. Dave. As always, good email from Dave McElvaney. And always very and thoughtful. Yeah, and I agree with you, Dave. That's that's the point. This this first series really is it's the golden age Superman with some of the Silver Age powers in place, but attitude wise, for the most part, this is a golden age Superman. And but we all know how important that secret identity is. And I mean, I think uh, the, like the promos is it the MeTV promos that say this that mm -hmm. refer to him as Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster Superman, right? This is probably the closest to that that we that we get on the screen. Yeah, I think we are in live action. I think exactly that. And we see it in everything from the Mole Men to the Evil Three to um, Night of Terror. I mean, right down the list of the great, great episodes of this first season, we're seeing the Golden Age Superman. But yeah, thanks, Dave. Those are great. And I agree with you 100% on your email. That's just terrific. Dave writes really good emails. Yeah. So I'd like to thank Dave for writing in. You can write in, too, by emailing uh, manofscreen at gmail.com. Bob, why don't you tell the good listeners where they can find you? Well, when I'm not here talking about Superman, I'm over at the Superman Forever Radio talking about Superman at supermanforever.com. And I'm also doing a monthly show with John M. Wilson now. Uh, and we take a look at the Silver Age through those giant 80-page giants. Remember the 25-cent 80-page giants that have 8, 9, 10 stories in them? Well, you might well, remember John them. I don't. Well, <laughs> Dave will remember them, won't you, Dave? Dave McElhinney will remember them. But, uh, yeah, we're doing uh, – John and I are having a great time over there talking about those stories. There are some uh, – they bring back some great memories for me. And these are first-time reads for John. So uh, we're having a blast. I'm some having of these a great are mostly the, my first time reading them. Right. And, and I think that's terrific. And I'm just so glad that there are ways to get them so that uh, a lot of people can, can read some of those great stories. So just, just terrific. So that's where you can find me at Superman Forever Radio at supermanforever.com and the Giant Superman Podcast. So, uh, and on Facebook. So just look for us on Facebook. That's my only social. I think John's everywhere. John Twitters and does all kinds of stuff. Right. But, uh, that's that's about it. So, uh, but Mike, thanks again for inviting me back. I hope to come back again when you, because you got you know another five seasons left to talk about. I do. There is so. uh, plenty more of Adventures of Superman on the way. I'm going to be finishing up season one next week with the Ghost Wolf and Crime Wave, and then it will be right on to season two, the only real full 26 episode season. Exactly, exactly. But I do like the fact, in hindsight, even though when they went to color, they went to 13 a season, numerically... They're still half it, and half. It works out half color and half black and white. So that's kind of cool. Like I mentioned before, you can send me an email at manscreen at gmail.com. You can join the conversation over on the uh, Facebook group at... Uh, you can sort of find that by searching for the Man of Screen podcast. 
The show is on Twitter, at Mana Screencast. The show is also on iTunes, and I just found out yesterday that apparently it's been on Google Play for months and I didn't know about it. Apparently, uh, my setting it up did work out, so you can find <laughs> the show both on iTunes and on Google Play. And also, I received my confirmation email about an hour ago that the show is also on Stitcher, so you can, you, can find it, you can find it in all those places as well. So, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Don't miss the next thrill-packed episode in the amazing Man of Screen podcast. The Man of Screen podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music is in sound clips used in the making of the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All trademarks are copyright their original copyright holders. The Man of Screen podcast is a member of the Superman Podcast Network can be found at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. The homepage for the show is manofscreen.podomatic.com, and you can email the show at manofscreen at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. No comment until the time limit is up.